curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're in Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're in Sales podcast. The So You're in Sales podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy, let us show you how. Now, on with the show. If you've been a long-time listener to this program, it's my belief that you listen to what we bring to you as a means by which to give yourself an unfair advantage over your competition. I'm guessing that most of you that are listening to this are operating in an environment where there are many competitors for that which you sell, and you're most likely not the low-cost provider. So in situations like that, how do you differentiate? What is it about what you do that makes the people that you want to do business with pick you as opposed to all of the other people that they might pick? Realtors are really some of the most uh, difficult situations when it comes to being in competition because real estate is universally pretty much the same regardless of whom you happen to be buying said property from. So what can a realtor really do to set he or her self apart from the competition? There's a lot of ways to consider, but not many realtors really spend a lot of time positioning themselves in unique ways to be seen as a specialist for a specific community or demographic or marketplace. Coupled with the hotness of the real estate market here on Metro Detroit, it makes for a really big challenge when it comes to being a realtor right now. There's a tremendous amount of demand and almost no supply. So how can a realtor convince someone who might even be thinking about selling their home to do it with them, given the competition for the very low supply that there is? I wanted to bring in realtors to talk about this, so I had the good fortune to bring in Mitty Matthews and Rachel Olson from the Arbor Move team. They operate in the Ann Arbor marketplace primarily, which is the hottest of the hot, and you really have to have something in your arsenal that's going to give you an opportunity to stand out when it comes to somebody making that decision to list a home or to perhaps buy one. I thought it was a really interesting conversation, and there's a lot of things that are unique to both Mitty and Rachel that is a direct reflection of their personalities. You're definitely going to be able to pick it up in the process, so give it a listen. I'm really, really grateful to have you both on the show because, man, realtors 
what a marketplace that you guys are dealing with right now. And I thought it would be great for us to get a chance to get your perspective on what it is that you're seeing from your side of the transaction. And then, uh, you know, for me, for you guys, like I've always said, realtors, I just, I feel like you guys have it as tough as any other industry out there from a pure sales perspective, just because of the sheer quantity of competition and realtor brokers are printing new realtors like their counterfeit dollars every single day to just create more sales is a quest to stand out in what is a crowded and noisy and difficult marketplace. And boy, do we have that in spades when it comes to real estate. So let's touch on real quickly from both of your perspectives. Like what is it about Arbor move that makes your brand stand out in the marketplace? We really strive to make sure that we hold your hand throughout the entire transaction. If you are needing that, I mean, we have, we have so many great people on our team from lenders to inspectors, you know, we just, if you're having an issue with it, we'll just, we'll sweep in and we'll, we'll help you out. We call your lender with you. We, you know, we do every part of it and, you know, everybody thinks, Oh, you know, finding the house is the hard part. Well, you know, it's changed. Our industry has changed. Everybody can go find the house. We can get you in. We can show you what to look for. We can help you all the way along the deal and the transaction. And we, um, you know, even if you've bought and sold a house before, that was probably seven years ago. You know, it's it's pretty clear to us every single day that even if you've been doing this or have done it before, you still kind of need to get walked through the whole process. And the process does change, I think. And it's different from state to state. So depending on what your experience is, we know that everybody's coming in a little bit fresh and more so than you're going to let us on to to know sometimes, you know, we're like, we just assume you don't know anything and, and we'll just help you out. You know, what can I do for you? And we just, we like to do that because we have such great relationships with so many people in the field that we can, we can get things done. We can be that undercurrent that makes it seem a lot smoother than it may actually be. Yeah. And I think that Arbor Move team really does a good job of keeping our personalities in it. You know, like we're not buttoned up people. And so on our Facebook page and in person, we are just, we, we are who we are. And I think that kind of attracts people that we're not the buttoned up, you know, I'm a professional realtor kind of <laughs> person. And, you know, I mean, both Minnie and I are super caring people. So we do, like she talked about hold hands. We definitely absolutely hold our clients' hands and, and have their best interests at heart. And once they meet us, I think they really understand that and, and appreciate that we're walking them through every part of the process. The pandemic, one of the things that we've seen is an increased desire for trustworthiness Mm -hmm. on the part of both sides of the transaction. And so by being able to show more than just your professional skill, really what you're doing is you're giving that person a better chance to feel like Oh, they're like me. They they share my interest. They they look like me. They sound like me, and therefore, because of that, I feel like I can trust them with what for most people will be like the single most challenging, difficult, large thing that they're ever going to do in their personal lives. So, by giving yourself that opportunity to show your personality, you really do build the trustworthiness that you're looking for, and. In this era of specialization, a lot of times what I'm trying to convey to realtors is what you're into are the places that you should be trying to market yourself. Because if I'm a runner and you're a runner, if you speak my language, 
if you know the challenges that I face in my training for trying to prepare for a race, then I'm going to feel way more comfortable with you than someone who doesn't know anything about something that I'm really, really into. So by showing your personality and giving people that ease to understand the things that you guys are into, it really does build that trustworthiness in this moment when it, trust is so very important because I don't know how it is everywhere, but what I know in, in Michigan and in Southeast Michigan is demand is off the charts for homes and the supply is like a desert. So we have this difficult situation where we have tremendous demand with not very much supply. So how do you tackle that? You know, Roger, it, it becomes this really frustrating game that we're playing. I mean, I've had clients who we wrote four offers and four deals we didn't get. And on the fifth one, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're in it. We're a hundred percent in. And we went 25,000 over asking on a 400 plus house, which I thought we got a deal in this market. I've heard 45,000 over asking somewhere in that price point. So I think we did pretty well, but you know, I think managing our clients' expectations are the number one things we've got to do. We've got to make sure that everybody knows we're in a tough market. You're not going to win everything, but sometimes losing that house ends up that you realize you were supposed to lose that house. My specific clients that I'm talking about right now, they, um, they were trying to fit into houses that didn't really meet their needs, but they were like, but we got to buy, we want to buy something. We're so frustrated. We're allowed, we're now going for some house that, that, um, that we don't really even want, but I think we could make it work. And I'm like, it, you know, we lost some houses and they were like, darn it, we really like that. And I'm like, I'm not really sure you did. And the one that they ended up with, like I said, sometimes losing turns into the right thing. So the one they ended up with is absolutely way better than anything that we have lost. And they are over the moon. I'm like, see, this is a little bit of a wait period, a lot of having your heart broken. And now you've got the right house. So I think it's just saying, you know what, losing that maybe wasn't a bad, bad thing. Let's just move on to the next one and trying to keep your clients in it and keep them, you know, it's like, you know, having an 18 year old who keeps getting, you know, broken up with, you know, <laughs> now they're on their fifth girlfriend, you know? So, I mean, it's just, it's like dating. It's, it's house dating. You know, you're not always going to, you're going to try some stuff that you probably shouldn't have. <laughs> I know. I think that's funny. The other day I was thinking about how my psychology classes in college have really gotten me ready to be a real estate agent. Cause I think some of the time you're a counselor to your clients in this, this tough situations. And, you know, you just have to kind of get creative with the house offers and maybe kind of try and put yourself in the seller's shoes and what would they want? And, you know, I had, um, I had a couple new new buyers the other day that, that were uh, wanting to put in an offer. And they wrote this beautiful targeted letter to the sellers who, who had Star Wars stuff in their house. And, and my kids are like super nerds. <laughs> so they wrote this letter that had all the Star Wars stuff in it that I didn't understand. But we were really hoping it would get them the house just because, you know, that's what the sellers were into and that's what they were into. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get the house because it wasn't high enough offer. But... You know, it's just kind of you have to pick and choose and try and figure out how to get creative with your offers and how to get in the, the seller's heads to get that your fire the door. Rachel, I was going to ask you both as a follow-up question. Is, is there, are there ways that buyers can improve their marketability? Absolutely. And I think you're right, Rachel. Like sometimes that letter will be enough for them to say, you know what, we'll take 5,000 less as long as that margin's pretty small, you know, right. or 2,000 less because we really like these guys. And, you know, everything is like, like 
if you would put it on a point system, I would say, you know, the price is like 80 points if, if we're shooting for a hundred, you know, and then there's these other pieces like an appraisal bridge, man, that's another 10 points right there. And that letter that you gave them, that might be worth like one point, you know, I mean, like everything has a different, a different weight to it. But if you keep adding these points on, you might get to the point where like you're off for one, cause you just had all the little pieces that they needed. And it's key to, you know, communication with that realtor who's selling that house. If you've got the buyers, I mean, I'm on the phone with them constantly. They, I get blocked all the time. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm like, hey, do they want this? Hey, do they want this? You know, and some people just submit an offer without finding out what they want. But maybe, you know, what's really important is occupancy. They need a week to move. And so if my clients have it in them, they can give them a week of free occupancy. Man, that might be worth five points, you know? I and mean, like all these little pieces and parts to this puzzle, if we can put it all together the right way, you know, we're a lot closer to that finish line for our clients. Yeah, we try and make sure that our clients are set up good for the financing side of it too. Because I know maybe kind of talked a little bit about, about our, our team and our, our lenders and stuff that we use. So sometimes people will come in with an out-of-state lender or a large company and we kind of encourage them to get a closer lender here in the in the city and make sure that, you know, we have somebody that we trust that, that will get the job done. Because I think a lot of sellers don't want it to, you know, obviously they don't want it to fall through halfway through if the lending doesn't come through. So we just try and make sure everybody, all of our clients are well set up. That's, you know, one of the, one of the big things that we can do in addition to all the little creative stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, curb appeal was always what we would hear being preached, right? So curb appeal, you have to make your house be really desirable. Well, it's almost like it's the, the buyer needs the curb appeal now. Like, Hey, it's you true. want, you want me to buy your house because it's going to make you look good to the neighbors that you pick <laughs> us to be their neighbors, right? Like something along those lines. I just, those little edges, like you said, Minnie, you know, if you're looking for that one point might be the point yep. that ultimately is what sways those people in when they have a multitude of choices. So that, yeah, if you've got kind of equal offers and you've suddenly got this one person who gave you a week of free occupancy and a, and a letter that kind of touched you. You're being like, I'm going with this one, hands down. I've seen it. I've been on the other side of the table. They're like, let's give it to these guys. They're really going to love this house just like we did. You know, I mean, there there is a certain amount of that in there. The other stuff's got to be pretty equal, though. And a bottle of Dom Perignon never hurts. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> so let's talk, let's talk pandemic, right? So um, obviously the pandemic has had its uh, effect on the market itself, but I also think what I've watched is it's had an effect on the mechanics of the transaction. <clears throat> like real estate has always been so many sheets of paper, 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 sign, sign, this, this, yeah. gotta be person, all of those things. And now maybe it's not been possible. So what do we think of how those changes have happened? Like, what do you think is going to go back to being the way it used to be? And how do we think that what's transpired now is going to be here to stay from the mechanics side of it? You know, I think we've got one more document in our document set that has something about the pandemic. You know, I don't, I don't think I've even read it. <laughs> Just, you know, it's from legal. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, I understand we're in the middle of a pandemic type of thing. Please sign here. You know, if you get COVID, that's on you. Right. So, and I think it's worded exactly like that. Um, <laughs> But I think, you know, we're going to have things like open houses are coming back, you know, and every it's just most of the time real estate is a one on one transaction that we're doing. You know, I take a 
clients to the house or Rachel takes somebody to a house and we're, we're in a small proximity with not too many people there. So I don't think a lot of our stuff has changed. Um, I was in a Zoom meeting last night on a panel um, and somebody mentioned that she teaches a real estate class and this is a warning for you, Rachel. Um, and she said there, she teaches a real estate class every four days. There's another hundred people that are now out of work and thinking that you can get rich quick in real estate. Yeah. Right. So she's teaching a hundred new people like every week to be in real estate. And she's like, I know that 85%, and that is a true number. 85% of these people aren't going to make it for the first two years probably half of those will drop off after a year and do one transaction. You know, they'll get lucky with that one aunt is going to die right after they got their license and they get to sell their house, you know? Um, But there's a ton of people coming into the, you know, it's real estate is hard. I think one of the biggest things we've shot ourselves in the foot with is running around going, Oh, look at me. I'm selling houses. This is so simple. It's not, you know, I mean, this is a sales job. It is a sales job and you have to make sure people know that you're in it, you know what you're doing and that you can, you know, you, you have to harvest enough to make a living. It's not easy. It's not. And there's always that one creepy person who wants to meet you at that one vacant house. You know, there's some stuff yeah. in this job that you're like, uh, Rachel, I'm going to need you to come with me. <laughs> There's some stuff that, you know, we don't talk about in real estate. What do you think, Rachel? Is there anything that you're seeing that you think is here to stay? No, you know, really it hasn't that, like Mitty said, it it hasn't changed that much with the pandemic. Obviously open houses, but I'm not a fan of open houses anyway. (laughs) You usually get the neighbors coming in looking at the house, what they've done with it. It's never, it's never, you know, ideal. Like everybody's like, oh, have an open house. You'll get all kinds of clients. Well, been there, done that. Haven't really gotten very many clients off of it. So yeah. (laughs) Um, Midia, and in the book, The Speed of Trust, there's an equation in there. And it says that um, in order to get the best results, you need three elements of the equation. You need uh, execution, strategy, and trust. And the way the equation is built, it's strategy multiplied by execution raised to the level of trust. So you could have a great strategy, you could be doing well, but if the people don't trust you, somebody else who maybe has a less solid strategy but is executing equally as well, if they have more trust, they're actually going to outperform. And a lot of people, when you talk about trust, that's kind of a slippery word. People don't, everybody's got kind of a slightly different definition of what they mean when they think about the word trust. So when we talk about the word trust, we try to break it down into two elements. It's character and competence. And to your point, the competence part is really, really important. And you would hope that much like how getting a driver's license doesn't teach you how to drive, getting a real estate license doesn't teach you anything other than knowing the rules, right? And so it's a matter of then how do you take your character and imbue it into your competence in a way that would earn people's trust? And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's by putting yourself in a position where you are willing to do things that may seem like they were at the time slightly risky as taking someone putting on hazmat suits and going into somebody else's house together because it's important for people to have that opportunity to actually envision themselves within the walls of the place that they're considering buying. I just, I don't know how with virtual tours or anything else that is technologically driven that you can change that need for that person to stand in the middle of the living room and envision what Christmas is going to look like. 
I just don't know how you change that, right? Right. So, but then on the other hand, we have the millennial generation who seems to be fueling a lot of what's going on from real estate transactions right now because they've finally gotten themselves in a financial position. You know, the Great Recession really knocked that group on its butt when it came to they were just getting ready to be in that home buying era. And now, 10 years later, they're like, okay, we can buy a house now. And But millennials have such different mindsets in a lot of ways about a lot of different things. And I'm wondering how it's bled into the real estate transaction set. Like, what 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 is working with millennials? How has it been different and how has it been the same? I'm actually selling houses without that client walking into the house. And I've done it more often than I'm comfortable with, you know, because I'm I'm like, hey, this is a great house but I'm not the one living here. And then I'll do virtual, like actual walkthrough videos and stuff. But I mean, because of where we are, and this is such a transient area with people wanting to move back here or getting a job here, or there's so much flux of people coming and going that we, I find that like people are like, I can't get back there to see these houses fast enough because houses fly off the market here. You know, I've got some kids out in California and they're millennials and they're, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, they send me an address and I run out there and I walk through a virtual, like with a, my phone and we, I go through the house a couple of times. I talk about all of it. I look at stuff like, you know, as they might look at it if they were walking through, we've put in offers, you know, I mean, I've actually fully bought houses and gone to the closing table for people and they've never seen it. Wow. It's and to be that realtor who walks into that house with them that they've just purchased, they've just spent 400,000 on with them going, Oh, please, Oh, please. I hope you like this. <laughs> it is so frightening. <laughs> but I think the millennials are more willing to, um, to uh, use the technology and um, embrace that and, and trust it uh, than say, you know, the 60 year olds. That's the only difference I would see as far as the millennials. I don't think they're changing the market. I just think that they're a little bit more trusting, although they trust their parents more than they trust us. So the minute I hear the word mom or more importantly, dad, I'm like, oh, this deal's going south. <laughs> Dad's walking in and he's going to put the kibosh on this. You know, there's a shingle missing. And it's usually something kind of nitpicky like that that throws the them into this um, mistrust of what they're purchasing, mistrust of themselves, really. And uh, I see that with the millennials over any, I've never seen it with any other of the gens, but the millennials are more apt to like take something the dad said and, and throw the deal aside because that's, they trust that the parents know more than they do. I think a lot of the interactions with the millennials is different. Like I'm a phone call person. That's just me. But I mean, it's text, it's email and, and don't email them listings. You text them the link for the listings because they're not going to open their emails and they're probably not going to answer their phone. If you call them, I mean, unless you're like, Hey, we really need to talk. I can't do this over text. But I think that that for me, that's one of the biggest things. Um, and Mitty's right about the parents too. <laughs> parents are sometimes involved and sometimes deal breakers. Oh, wow. You know, it's so interesting to, to realize that like a half a million dollar house can be bought by somebody who never stepped foot in it. So, so really, I mean, that, there it is. It really is the reliance on technology mm -hmm. and they get along better with their parents than we did. 
All right. So last question, this thing is cooking, right? And the last time it was cooking like this, we were on the precipice of a really bad situation. Yep. A lot of people lost their shorts when we were in that bubble. And this is definitely a bubble, but I don't think it's the same kind of bubble. So if uh, subprime mortgages and overinflated real estate prices are not going to sink this hyperinflated market, what, what, what predictions might you two have as to what potentially might be an iceberg that people might be wanting to think about? You know, um, the 2008 market is what you're talking about or referring to. And the situation is different. What happened then was the lenders were just shelling out money to people who shouldn't be getting that much money. And they're getting, and they were giving, you know, bigger loans than those people should have had. And people were very irresponsible. And then they got in over their heads, the mark and, and everybody foreclosed, you know, I mean, it was just, it was crazy what was happening then. And, and we have a different situation right now. The lenders are very tight with their wallets you really have to come to the table with absolutely everything you need to close that house or we're not closing. If you don't, if you suddenly, if you're on the edge there and you decided, well, you know what, it's just time for that new car. And then you go and you get that, that new car payment. Um, and that sends you, you know, one percentage point over what they're going to lend, allow you to have for this particular loan, you're not getting the loan. You know, the, the lenders are really tight right now, which is, which is, which is great. So that we're not seeing foreclosures. We're not, even with this pandemic, we're not seeing a big foreclosure market. Um, all the, all the realtors are predicting that what is eventually going to happen is we will level off, but we need to get these buyers into houses right now. We just have a really so many buyers and just nobody selling. If people would sell and we'd even out this market, we'd, it would level off. I don't think it's going to tank. I don't think we're going to rise up any higher than we are. I think at, at some point we're, and it may be the end of the year, this may continue this way until the end of the year. And that's kind of what people are thinking. That's what it feels like. But I think at some point it will level off. I don't think we're going to see some sort of a burst in a bubble. I'm curious to see what you think about the interest rates going up too, because I, I know I was talking with um, one of our lenders the other day and the interest rates are starting to go up and she said that she thinks they're going to continue to go up. So do you think that that's going to be less buyers coming in if the interest rates aren't as low as they have been? Cause everybody's like, Oh, I got to buy now. They're super low. Yeah. I think they're, that's a good, that's a good point. They are going up. And I think that, um, what's really just going to happen is the buyers aren't going to have as much buying power and they know that, you know, they really do. So they're trying to get in now while they can, you know, have a, have a lower payment and still get that house that they want. Um, and I, you know, maybe two years ago, we were having another situation where there were just too many buyers and it was sort of frenzied, same sort of thing. Um, and the buyers right around this time of year, they all went, forget it. This is no fun. Just put the brakes on for a couple months. And then suddenly nobody, there weren't multiple offers and, and people are like, I'll just wait until more stuff comes on the market. We don't have to buy right now. We'll wait a few months. And I think that helps the sellers because the sellers are going through this greedy period where their price of their house is too high. And, you know, and, and I think that the buyers are tired of it. 
You know, they're like, I don't really need to buy. I'll just wait till next year when things settle, settle down, you know, and I think the sellers are going to feel a bit, a bit of a hit. And I think the, the we're going to see the buyers taking a break. Yeah. I, I, if, if you ask me, I think it's interest rates. I really do. I think, you know, the price of money has been for a lot of people in their late twenties, money has been cheap their whole lives. Mm-hmm. They've, they've never understood what, really expensive money was like and it's going to take some reimagination on their parts to understand that a dollar spent when it's cheap is one thing a dollar invested when money is expensive is actually a really good strategy so if you're suddenly looking at your dollar as being something that can pay you more money because the interest rates being what they are, then maybe you divert some of those dollars that you would spend on something like, I don't know, a house into a savings account or something along those lines. So that's going to be a really interesting transition. And I'm really, that's where I'm going to be watching to see like what effect that has on the marketplace from a real estate purchasing perspective. But I know that because you both are very high character people that have a lot of competence, that you are very trustworthy realtors, and that no matter what happens with the interest rates, you guys will continue to do the bang up job that you've done so far. So thank you so much for both coming on. It's been so much fun. It's so great to see your smiling faces. (laughs) I cannot wait until we're all in a position where we can cast off all of our concerns and go party like rock stars and have all the fun that we're used to having. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Roger. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, there you have it. I don't know about you, but I heard some really, really valuable tidbits there in that interview. The importance of a team, even though you're dealing with a real estate agent, there usually is a team of folks that will come along for the ride along with that realtor. So making sure that you've got a realtor that's got a really strong team is super important. And obviously, when there's so many choices in the real estate field, you really want to stay true to your personality because people will gravitate to people that they know, like, and trust. And by helping to manage people's expectations, you know, you heard Mitty say, sometimes you lose a house that's really not meant for you. I think there's a lot of truth in that no matter what you're selling. Oftentimes you're working so hard trying to accomplish a new order or a new client that you lose sight of the fact that maybe that person or that transaction really isn't something that you should be trying to accomplish. And the idea of house dating as an as a notion is really interesting one to me because if you're unattached to the outcome, you can stay more focused on what it is that you're really trying to get. And boy, isn't that really important more so than anything when it comes to the thing that you are going to probably spend the most money on in your life being your home. So I hope you enjoyed that. We took a break and ran through the top 10 most listened to uh, episodes here over the course of the last couple weeks. And Boy, we're really well received. So I hope that you found some education or information or some entertainment or maybe even some inspiration in the re-release of those top 10 episodes. But please, by all means, subscribe and share this around to folks if you'd like. And we hope to continue to bring you the high quality interviews and information that you've grown accustomed to. Until next time, this is Roger signing out.